Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Annie and Kate. And today our guest is Damana Madden, who's a longtime friend of mine. And she's a software development manager at Amazon, a kick-ass geek diva. And she's been working as a software engineer for a long time. She lives in Seattle, Washington, and works for Amazon in the Amazon publishing organization, which I love. I love my Kindle. Um, and she manages the software engineering teams who build high availability, large scalable systems, which are my favorite kind. Uh, she has worked in an enormous number of verticals and um, she actually started Girl Geek Dinners in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, I knew her, I met her in those days. I can't even remember when we met. And she's ex-ThoughtWorks, ex-Microsoft, and she described herself as also ex-compliant. So welcome, Damana. <laughs> Hi, Annie. Hi. So let, let's, let's start. What are you drinking? Me? Are you drinking? Um, I have a, I opened a special bottle. So I have not had alcohol in, since October last year. Oh. So I have had one glass, which means I'm giggly right now. Um, but I opened a bottle of um, Clonakilla Shiraz Viognier, which I bought uh, about eight years ago. Um, but it's a, it's a quaffer as I would describe it. Um, one of the smoothest uh, Shirazes mixed with a Viognier that I've ever had. It's just outside from just outside of Canberra and I love it. It's a good red and I saved it for you guys. That sounds Thank beautiful. You. That sounds like a nice drop. I, it's, it's, it's okay. I am having very fancy lemongrass, lime and ginger tea in a pyramid, not just a bag, a silken pyramid. Look at that. Oh, I'm in my Girl Geek Dinners mug from... <laughs> I can't believe you still have that. I don't even have that mug anymore. I think it was our second dinner. So what are you... I drinking? think it was. What are you drinking, Annie? Uh, I have a good old-fashioned uh, Twinings lemon and ginger tea with an extra drop of lemon from the lemon trees in my garden. Oh, nice. Can I ask what time it is for you guys? It's nine minutes past 11 in the morning. Otherwise, we would also be on a glass of wine with you. Oh, okay. just in my defense, it's nine minutes past 6 p.m. in Seattle. So it's totally That's glass of wine time. <laughs> As we would say back in England, the sun is well and truly over the yard arm. Carry on. <laughs> I like it's it. Good to make that, that point. Um, but, but let's start off with Annie. Have you got a question? I have, yes. So it's actually one of my favorite ones that I always like to ask, particularly super, super experienced women like yourself. What is there anything that you would go back and tell your younger self to do differently? Oh, there are many things. Um, if there was one thing, um, it's something that I tell all of my female engineers that I manage right now, and it's don't change for the situation. So I was always told how I could do things better and I could change to suit the situation and make men feel more comfortable or people make feel more comfortable. And it was the, it was getting into my thirties when I met people like Kate and, and other female leaders who kept encouraging me to say like, 
don't no 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 don't change let let them adapt to you um be you be your genuine self you know go out there with the best intentions and let other people deal with you so i would say yeah that's it i would be like demana um people will tell you all the ways you're supposed to be you and you just have to be you and it may cause discomfort but welcome to my world equality is everyone feeling uncomfortable not just me. Um, yeah, that would be my answer. I love that. I particularly love the fact that there's a moment where I think it happens with most women, particularly in you know male-dominated or white male-dominated industries like tech, where there's a point where we just get to the point of just giving zero fucks anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe it happens for some people earlier than others, but I think it was about the same time with me as well, where I just went, I, I can't why should I dilute who I am to fit into somebody else's version of the world? So yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And I, I will say one thing. I, I, I remember going into an interview. I was in Canberra and I was going for a contract and I, I didn't need the contract because I already had another contract, but I'd already lined up this interview. So I thought, what the hell? I'm going to go into it. I'm just going to be me, <laughs> whatever. I don't care. And I went in and I was just like, absolutely me. And they offered me the job. And the reason I took them over the other contract was because they knew what they were getting up front. I decided that they were going to find out anyway. So why not just be me? And it was that moment. It was pivotal that I'm interviewing you the same way you're interviewing me. Um, And I'm just going to be me because you're going to find out who I am and it's going to take like two minutes. So let's, let's get this done up front. Yeah, I can literally remember the moment when I decided that. It was when I was working at AMP last century and I was in this (laughs) boardroom and I had this sudden realisation that I was the only other woman in the world in the room apart from the one pouring coffee. And, And it was this huge board table and there was all of these blokes and me and the woman pouring coffee and that was when I started to go... I don't give any more fucks. I'm just being me. And that's when I started wearing jeans to work and just, yeah. It was a really interesting moment, though. It was just like walking around the room thinking, I'm the only one here, <laughs> like me. Imagine, so Kate, imagine the cycles we spend on conforming and fitting in, all these kinds of things. So we spend all these cycles just trying to deal with the situation we're in and I always think about the majority whether it is straight white males or whatever it is they go in and they don't have to spend those cycles and they get to just do their jobs and all I ask is can I just do my job do I have to spend all these cycles but I still manage to perform to this level while still spending energy on all this other stuff and this is why the women you work with in the world in tech especially are amazing superstars because they're already used to spending the cycles and doing their job yeah I think that's a really really interesting point and and I think possibly the world is changing who can predict what's going to happen possibly I'm, I want to ask you a question about what, what is the one thing that's really surprised you about your career? Oh, that's interesting. Um, maybe because of the pandemic and everything that's happening right now, I've had a lot of time to, you know, pontificate and ponder. 
Um, I actually left the apartment for a while. I go out to get the groceries and stuff like that, but I'm immunocompromised, so I don't um, put myself into big crowds and stuff like that. I wear an N95 out and stuff like that, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm very isolated. I'm at a day 135. I, I don't know if I get like a prize or something, but like I'm hoping I do. Um, I guess the thing that surprised me about my career has been that um, I, as an extrovert, um, I say I'm an extroverted female black engineer. Um, all I have to do is be, you know, queer and, and of some religion to, to, to qualify for all groups. Um, but what's really surprised me is that people always told me that I should um, go into managing people. I should go into developing people. And that was a great way for me to scale. And I rejected that as an IC, as an individual contributor. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I want to write code. I want to do this thing. This is how I do my best, blah, blah, Um what surprised me becoming a manager in the last couple of years was that I could actually scale in a way that I didn't realize I could. And it was about enabling people. So I always had the chance to enable people as a lead, but it was enabling them when it was my job to do that, when it was my responsibility to do that. Um, and it gave me so much power. So what I guess has really surprised me is that becoming a manager, just to learn a bunch of skills that I needed as a manager um, actually became almost uh, a life longing. Like I really love enabling people. I really love growing them. I really love um, teaching them the things I know. So I've surprised myself in that I, I limited myself by like saying, I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to do these kinds of things. And um, becoming that and trying that out and trying different skill sets has helped me grow and has helped me be open to ideas and um, to develop the people around me. So I think I, I scale better now. Um, and my, my, my absolute confidence was like bordering on arrogance was this is how I scale and being challenged to not think that way and to think in a different way has made me realize I scale in other ways. I'm really interested as to what you thought management was that you didn't want to do it. Mm. I'll, tell, I'll be honest, I have not had very good managers. I have had, I have felt as though the people who managed me never understood me and they never um, worked with me and they gave up on me very early, very early. Um, I'm a superstar in many things and I know that I achieve and I do these things, but I'm a, I'm a difficult person in many ways in that I'm emotional and I'm expressive and I, I, I control the mood of the room because I'm an extrovert. And so what I found was that um, until I found my manager, my last manager, Sam Donnelly, who I say is the best manager I've ever had. Like I, I cannot tell you how much I love this guy. Um, he just gave me space to be me. And before that, I'd never met a manager like that. I thought that managers were meant to cage me and were to control me. They were meant to explain why I was not the most annoying person in the room. Um, and he taught me that I wasn't. He taught me that like, he could work with me and he could, uh, even if he didn't understand who I was, he would let me do my thing. So the thing that I took from that and, and why I was afraid of like management was that I thought it was caging people, but it wasn't. It was enabling people. Um, and he taught me that. He taught me that um, 
I can I can grow people. Um, and I, I think, like I always say it jokingly, but I want to be the manager that I wish I had in the world, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so I was scared of the idea that I was supposed to control people and I didn't want to do that. But the manager I am now is not doing that. It's enabling people. That's a really cool realisation. It's a realisation. It like slaps you in the face and you're like, oh, I was wrong. Reassessing life. It's easier. It's a much easier life than controlling people. Controlling people and keeping them in their boxes is always effort. Whereas empowering people and you, they, my team do things and don't even tell me until they're done. And I'm going, oh my God, that's amazing. I love it. I love and it. And it also, it also makes like you look so good. You're like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally what I told them to do. Uh, yeah, but I love it. I love it. I think that um, the one thing I've realized is that if you build a safe situation, like a psychological safety inside of a situation where they can be wrong or right and they can have take risks, um, that people will do amazing things. I always say that like happy engineers will move a mountain one inch to the west for you and unhappy engineers will wade through molasses just to answer your email. Um, it's about giving people space. It's interesting because I've gone from having a really large team to becoming an IC. Um, and for those listening or watching, as Damana mentioned earlier, individual contributor, it's very much an engineering term. I'd actually not come across the, the acronym of IC until I came to Microsoft. Um, anyway, so yeah, I had a team of like 50 odd people all around the world, globally distributed, all those wonderful things. And I really do love having a team but I'm not going to lie. I'm also enjoying the freedom of what being an individual contributor and just delivering a piece of work also gives you back. And it's been an interesting realization, not just in terms of you know, having a bit more freedom um, and literally every single day is whatever I want to spend it on rather than managing others and helping them through their issues and helping them through you know, prioritizing workload, but also something very specific for me I've kind of missed uh, not being able to point to one piece of work and say, I did that. So it's been interesting. I'm, I'm not saying that I prefer one side of the fence or the other. It's just I have a bit more of a, a remembering appreciation for, for actually just owning your own piece of work and being in charge of it all and delivering it. There's, there's some joy in that too. And there's empathy in that. It's in understanding your ICs and what they're doing. Mm. Well, there was a really interesting picture of um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the the guy at the CDC in the US Mm -hmm. today, and it was him suiting up to go and treat an Ebola patient because he wanted to to show his team that he was not going to ask them to do anything he wasn't willing to do. Mm. I think that's, that's another thing is just picking up a piece of work and doing it yourself just because you can. Uh, and to show solidarity with your team is is kind of important too. I yeah. agree. I think that one thing as, uh, I don't know if Amazon is the same as everyone else. I worked at Microsoft and a bunch of other places, but um, at Amazon, you're asked to be a people manager, but you're also asked to be an IC. And, you know, screw you. That's really hard work. I'm just going to say in a pandemic, it's really, really hard. But like, I'm a delivery lead and I'm a solutions architect. And then on top of that, I'm a people manager. 
So it's about like the satisfaction of delivering and all this kind of stuff and growing people. I'm not saying it's not exhausting. It totally is. Um, But I love the idea that part of my job is actually doing the delivery and the software and the architecture side of it. Um, If I didn't have that, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to do the management role I do. Just pure management? No. That's interesting. So you kind of need that balance of keeping your hands, you know, sort of in the, in the mix of whatever coding and engineering and technical, technical problems, problem solving, as well as doing the people management side. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, one of the questions I I watched your podcast and there was a question you guys asked, which was um, what's the question you most hate being asked. Mm. And I I had two answers to that. I was totally prepared for them. Um, But you should ask yeah, yeah. it now. Ask it now. Okay. I ask my own question or your own interview. I'll ask my own question. Um, but the, the, there, are two, there are two questions that I really cringe at, but now I've learned to answer. And one is, how do you feel about being post-technical? And I always say, well, I don't know. Ask me when I'm post-technical. Like, I, I love the fact that I can go up against principal engineers and senior engineers and, you know, I'm a language theorist and I'm a mathematician, you know, I'm a, I've done built everything. I've worked in everything. So I love going and saying, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really post-technical. What have you got for me? And I love having that conversation. Um, but I hate that that's the first thing they ask me is though I somehow retired that part of me to do this other thing when I really feel as though I just grew on top of who I am mm-hmm. and they like a lot of people don't understand it until they've had to do that. So I'm like, wait until you're 40, you get it. Um, um, and the other question, which I, I won't really address here is why are you still single? Um, that's a choice. Just saying it's a choice, not a mistake. Um, but those are the two yeah. questions I always get asked. And um, I'm so bored of that. Oh, you, why are you single? I'm like, seriously it's, it's back to the whole diluting myself i don't want to dilute myself unless it makes me better right so therefore i'm not diluting myself anymore i want i want whatever yeah. my partner to be to be additional and make me better make me an even more awesome human being and all those different things yeah. but i also think that people think that women are somehow completed by having a partner whether that is same sex or different or whatever it is but i always think that like they're asking you that when they ask me that they're saying what's wrong with you right and what what they don't realize is they should be asking why did you make the choice and um i there there is nothing kate will tell you this there's nothing i don't do deliberately like i will think things through i will overthink them i will think them backwards and underneath and in all kinds of directions i will discuss them with all the people publicly you know privately um there is a reason for that it's about finding if if okay i'm just gonna say if a pastry chef with a yacht who is really good at massages comes and wants to have a relationship with me i am open to it but i'm just gonna say like i i feel happy with who i am i've gone through the picket fence and the marriage and all those kinds of things and i did what society wanted but this is the first time in my life in the last maybe seven years where i've really felt happy just being who I am and why am I single I don't know why am I brown it just works <laughs> it's just you so so when you were a little girl did you ever have any idea that this was even a possible life for you Jamar? what the life I live now yeah 
I think so. So, um, people grow up with Disney princesses and this kind of like, you know, you're going to be, you know, play with Barbie dolls and all this kind of stuff. I grew up with Lego and Barbies and, um, I'm on the spectrum. So, um, I didn't understand people. So my parents put me into dance and, um, athletics and all these other kinds of things. So I tried a lot of different things. And one thing my parents always told me was like, don't box yourself. Don't, don't be anything like give yourself like many possibilities and work out who you are. And so I didn't really have an idea of who I would be, but I didn't know that I wanted to do something. I wanted to have impact. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be uh, a neurosurgeon. I wanted to be all these kinds of things. Then I realized I had a math brain. And uh, very early on, I realized I'm going to be some kind of scientist, you know, that kind of thing. And I I realized that. um, Did I think that I'd be living this amazing life that I live now? I don't know if I I had the actualization of it, but I I think I knew that it was there, Hmm. that, that it was something I wanted. I will say that a lot of people spent a lot of time telling me that that wasn't who I was. Um, especially in my teenage years and twenties. Um, did I know it? I knew the promise of it is the best way to say it. Um, did I give myself permission? Not until I was divorced in 34, 35. No. How about you? Little Damana, little Damana just thought she could do anything. Little Damana was right. Um, <laughs> how about you, Kate, actually? Did you always think that you were going to end up in a tech career? Oh, good God, no. I started out thinking I was going to be a historian. What? I started out doing an arts degree with double honours in history. <laughs> okay, I was not expecting that. What, Australian history? Because my sister is like constitutional law history. So like, is it Australian well, history? Well, I, had, I, I was um, focused on two, two areas. So one was uh, World War II, in particular um, Nazi Germany. Um, and the other was medieval papacy. Because <laughs> why decide? Yeah. Wow. You're like Medici this, Medici that. So, I, but but life intervenes. So my parents died when I was 21, and I had to leave uni and um, get a job so that so that my four younger brothers were uh, were looked after. So um that that's why and then i reinvented myself and i've reinvented myself several times since but yeah so i put that on the shelf and then i suddenly discovered computers i had never seen a computer i i would i'd always rejected them and then i started using them in workplace and was like these are really cool and that was the start of my career in technology so okay can i ask you a question um if you didn't have a view of what computers were, did you, did it give you a free reign to do creative things? I suddenly discovered, I discovered computers through work and then I discovered, it was discovered hypertext and the power of hypertext, which was really fascinating for me. And that's what got me to dive into it because the thought of having these, these interconnections between things and the possibilities of the early days of the web was really, really fascinating for me. And that's what drove me. And then I realized that you could make a lot more money working in IT than you did in accounting, where I was working. 
So the, and then um, after a while, then I reinvented myself again into marketing, um, which, which, is, which was morphing into digital marketing and um, because they had better champagne. <laughs> I didn't have good drinks. I love your priorities, Kate. That makes perfect sense. I can I can appreciate them for sure. It was it was literally when when I was at, when I got a job at Citibank and I was like, oh my god, the marketing team has much better drinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So back to you, Damana. You mentioned earlier that you know you kind of tick a lot of the. Um, underrepresentation kind of boxes diversity girl diversity girl do you right so one of the things that i often find particularly with a person who wears more than one underrepresented group hat like yourself that there feels like there's a an even greater pressure or expectation on your shoulders to also be the the solution to that problem not just to also do your job is that something that you felt through your career as well? Oh, yes. And, and like, like recently, it's totally a thing in the US, like Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, you spend a lot of time, and you both know this, like having the conversations, just like educating people on stuff. Um, it becomes exhausting. Um, and even like being the, the, the black girl engineer, like there's not many black female software managers at Amazon. Like, honestly, there is not many. Um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that out loud, but whatever. I need a new job anyway. Um, But uh, I know that, like, I am always asked to present a solution to a problem. And I've learned over time that I can be, I can give you my opinion, which is one view of the world. But if I understood how to solve the problem I would be in a different job and it wouldn't be high scalable high availability um, software systems it would be like you know fixing the world Um, but yes I I think that we as women and um, single women and if there's if you're a lesbian or whatever group you're in or if you're you know some kind of other minority you're always carrying this weight to explain it to people and I get it I get that that's part of it. Um, sometimes it's exhausting. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do feel as though I'm expected to step up and, and represent everybody, which I think is weird because like everyone's different. Um, but yeah, I, I, that is a responsibility. How do I deal with it? Um, I, I will say that I reserve my energy Mm. Um, for when it is worth it and when it isn't. Um, but also I know that I could throw it away and say, like, don't put that on me. I can't carry your emotional weight, all that kind of stuff. But I could also be the person that they identify with. I could be the person around me that people who are in, in powerful situations say, oh, that's a demana use case. I get that. I can empathize with that. Um, so I try to spend my energy the right way. But yes, it's exhausting. And yes, I'm, you know, miss intersectionality. Um, do, I, do I push back on it? No, I feel as though that I have a privilege right now to use the disruption and the space I, that I've been given in the world right now to try to make a difference for other people. If it's not me, then other people. Yeah. So I was I was just going to ask if if you've if you've detected any difference between 
Australia and the US and, and issues of race and how it is treated in the workplace? Um, of the, the answer is that yes, there are differences. I'm just trying to uh, uh, form my response. Um, Americans, one thing I always say to Americans, like living in the US and living in other countries teaches you something. It's to see that there are many ways that are right to deal with the same situation. So there's no right way. There's no one way to deal with things. Like there is a situation and everyone deals differently. So Americans have a tendency to run in, like they lean in, they want to like, like force themselves to deal with things and they face it. Um, Australians are like, that kind of sucks. We really shouldn't do that. And then something big happens and they're like, then we should change the law. And, and it's really interesting to come from a country where we, we make changes fast, but we learn slowly and a country to live in a country where they learn very fast, but they're slow at making changes. And, and that's what I see is the difference between the U S and, and Australia. Um, there is a very casual racism in Australia. When I go back that I feel within, you know, walking through immigration, even, and like, walking out into the Sydney, you know, international airport, um, but in, in the U.S., it's institutionalized. It's like you can see that it's counting against people because it's like built into the system. So, yeah, there are differences. Um, is one worse than the other? Is one better? They are what they are. It's apples and oranges. Um, Americans come from a, a society where they they react and they – like we talk about – Australia and America is interesting. They're federations of a bunch of states. But the American states all wanted to, like, make sure that they could, like, rise up and go against the group, you know, that kind of thing. While Australia was like, well, you know, whatever, we're all kind of doing the same thing. Like, maybe we can have, like, common laws, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's very different. It's 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 very interesting time to live as an Australian in America, and I'm sure as an American in Australia. Um, but, yeah, it, it's different. Um, I don't know who's doing it better. I'm certainly just surviving. I think Sorry for the long answer. No, I think we're all just survive, trying to survive now. Um, yeah. Mark Pesci sent me a map today of the world with the spot, spots where COVID cases are growing the most and Australia's red now. <laughs> just our rate of growth is high, even though the average numbers are not high. But one thing that Australia is doing that America isn't is that you're not politicizing it. Mm. So I hate to comment on these things because it could affect my visa, but um, the virus is not political. Mm. In America, it's political. It's a, a red and a blue view of the virus. It's, it's people thinking that their politicians are interpreting it in a certain way. The one thing I love about Australia and New Zealand is that even though they're handling it in the way they handle it, it's not political. Mm. After so many years and so many kind of different roles and different companies in tech, what, what still keeps you motivated, Damana? What's, what keeps you jumping out of bed every morning? I build interesting shit. Um, someone said to me recently, um, how do you find all the interesting work? 
And I said, oh, I make all the interesting work. So it's about, it's about being in the situation you're in and saying, how can I make this better? So I consider myself a, a single-threaded leader. Um, I own my product and I, my products, I should say, and I own my tech. So I'm not just building something someone wants me to build, but I'm building a product that I care about, that I'm passionate about. I love books. I work at Amazon Publishing and I love books. And it's how do I get books to more people and how do I get people to read and how do I enable people? And that's what I'm passionate about. And so whether I've worked in finance or biometrics or, you know, government or all those kinds of things, I always try to find something that I really, really invested in that I believed in. And if I didn't, I left. Um, so my brain likes the way software works. That's how I, that's what I like. Um, but my heart is about finding what I really believe in and what I love. And if I can't find that, I, I move on. I move on and find different things. And are you are you similar? Are you guys like? How do you find your passion? I'm exactly the same. Uh, I've quit my jobs so many times without knowing what the next thing is, and and I, I learned that the hard way, where I, I stuck in two particular jobs longer than I should have. One of them, I was really really young. It was my first job out of uni, and I didn't know how to cope with the fact that I wasn't happy at work. And I, I actually, I think looking back, I probably was depressed, but didn't get diagnosed correctly because, you know, 20 odd years ago, that's not what people did. Nope. I got burnt out is, is the, um, the phrase that the doctors used. And then later on in my career, I, and Kate knows this story, just so the transition out. So I used to have a very terribly sensible corporate marketing job and then landed in startups about 10 years ago now. And I was like, I'd been in the same role for about four and a half, nearly five years in the corporate marketing gig. And I just got so bored and disappointed. I, I was essentially the terrorist in every room. Why should we do it like that? Oh, we've tried that before and it didn't work. You know, all of the things that actually are massive red flags for, for me is that, you know, I, if someone says that in front of me, I want to smack them around the head. I was that person for a good year and a half and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And the challenge on that one was because I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I was like, oh, I'll just stick around a bit longer, which was obviously the, the wrong answer. Um, but to kind of fill the gap, I climbed Kilimanjaro with my dad, my brother and five friends. And it was that realization. Like, like you do. Like oh, you, you know. do. <laughs> you're going to do something big, right? Um, and I got to the top of Kilimanjaro and realized that the thing that had actually given me my emotional kind of thing to get out of bed every morning to go train and I'd got to train and I'd got to plan and we'd got to do all of these things to kind of make sure that we were ready with all the equipment and everything. It was all encompassing. And then once I got to the top of the mountain and I realized that was over, I collapsed into a little heap and just started crying. And people are like, oh, are you just tired? I'm like, no, I just realized I'm going back to the same bloody job that I haven't enjoyed for nearly two years. And I still don't have a bloody answer of what to go do next. So I literally got my phone out right then and right there and texted my boss and quit. Best decision I ever made. Congratulations. I think that's fantastic. Like, I, I think I've never felt more liberated when the times than I was just like, I'm out, I'm done. Bye. I've left so many jobs. <laughs> so many. And, and, and it's just the thing I realized is I've got a bedrock 
thing that I need to be happy at work, which is interesting work with smart, congenial people. And if I have that and, and, a, and a reasonable mission, um, I'm, I can stay places for a very long time. And if I don't, I'm in and out very quickly because I know. But you also inspire that, Kate. Like you also create the environment. And I think that one thing we are not acknowledging about, especially women in tech, is that we want this, but we also create the world we want to be in, right? So uh, a friend of mine once said that she went on a date with a guy to a like a really extravagant party where everyone was dressed up and he was very uncomfortable. And she realized that his world was like, hey, Jacob, this is your space. We will reserve the space. And if you need it anytime, this is your space. And she thought to herself, well, actually my whole life I've been elbowing my way into my space and I think it's about as leaders giving that space to other people and if you've done that with me Kate like I you know I'm your biggest fan like I will just write you the best letter ever but like it was about giving people the space to be themselves without judgment all those kinds of things so I think female leaders do that very easily um but we don't say it out loud Mm. yeah I kind of have a problem with this notion that there's a special female leadership but I think you've hit on something important about the experience of women in the workplace where we do have to exert a whole lot more cognitive effort to just be there and that you know that elbowing your way in sort of thing uh, informs the way that we do lead I've had some of the best leaders of my life. My current boss and her boss are women and they're great. They are just fabulous. Um, But I've also had some diabolical female managers. Uh, And, and, and one, a very old um, friend of mine, she, she was an elderly woman when I worked with her. um, And she said to me one day, beware of the hoods in the sisterhood. And it was probably the best advice I ever got. Yeah. Uh, so I think the important thing is to find congenial, supportive women and build your own network. And I always tell women that find your own network of women. Uh, we, we are also our worst enemies. Like I have never felt more betrayed by anyone than the women who betray me. And I've had at Amazon, I, I have many examples of women who I thought would support me and who just didn't or who pulled pulled out or who just didn't back me or who wouldn't promote me or whatever it was. But like, I think that women don't have the men's club and what I try to call it is the women's network. Like I just want to support the women around me. Do I want to encourage more women into tech? Hell no. I'm just going to be honest. Like young women, there are better roles to go into and people get angry with me because I say that I'm like, um, they're like, oh, come and speak to women and encourage young girls to get into tech. I'm like, not until tech is a better place. But while I'm in tech, I'm going to advocate for women in tech. And so I want to be the woman who supports you, not the one who wanted something for you or who pulled her support. And Kate, you you are a great example of that. There's a few other people who never, ever um, pulled their support from me. They always just held me up. 
like through personal and like like political and like work situations and i want to be that and so that's what i'm encouraging I, i just want women to stop taking each other down yep i hear you and that is probably a really good note to end on. So thank you very much, Damana. I really appreciate your time today. Thank Annie. Thank you. Annie, I love meeting you. Sorry, yes, I haven't known you before. You I think That's you're it. adorable. That's it. We're, we're now fast friends on Twitter and I need to know where you got those. Uh, those- I will send you a link. I've gone into many VP meetings going, I do not agree. And like having kid ears makes that so much easier to hear. That's good. <laughs> we're out now.